Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, who is a big-time world traveler, of course, now, ladies and gentlemen. He has returned uh, from the honeymoon days in Italy. Uh, Jeff, before we talk baseball, how was your trip? It was great, man. I I went to the places. uh, I saw the things. It was fantastic, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's it's hard to come home. Yeah. Oh, no, it sounds perfect. Um, let's go ahead and jump in to this 2019 Arizona Diamondbacks team, which Jeff, it feels very fitting. I think the team, I don't have the number in front of me. I think they were right around 500 the last time we recorded. And sure enough, as we (laughs) record here late on the night of August 22nd, the Diamondbacks are exactly 500 at 64 and 64 after dropping the finale to the Colorado Rockies on Wednesday. Um, so the Diamondbacks, they are sitting in this uh, this kind of position of, of mediocrity. Uh, I think that's probably an appropriate word to use at this point. They are currently sitting at five games out in the wild card race, which is actually a number that has grown pretty significantly. For a while, the Diamondbacks were playing 500 ball, and they were able to squeak by because a lot of the other teams in the race were also struggling uh, but those days seem to be behind us as the Cardinals, the Nationals, the Mets uh, have all really caught fire as of late. Those teams are are in the lead as we speak with the Phillies and Brewers also standing in between the Diamondbacks and a, p- a potential playoff berth. Uh, Jeff, I know it's been a while since you've since you've been around and dialed in with the team, but coming back, give me your impressions of the Diamondbacks and, and did they perform as you expected since uh, since your trip? You know, it's really interesting. Um, when I got back, I thought, you know, uh, the good news was that in the time that I was gone, the Diamondbacks were basically a, a 500 ball club. Um, so I couldn't be blamed for their downfall or demise. Um, <laughs> the bad news is that they were about a 500 ball club right. um, and hadn't really made any progress. And what's interesting, Jesse, as I'm, as I'm looking at this, um, you know, their run differential, we've we visited this topic, uh, you know, probably a good six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and they were something in the neighborhood of, you know, plus 60 some, you know, runs in the in the run differential column. Um, all that time has passed and they're still plus 64 runs. So, hmm. um, you know, some of that, you know, mirage where maybe, you know, there was some discussion there, you know, uh, even maybe before the all star break, right around that time that. You know, if there was enough there that you thought, hey, maybe this team's actually better than they, you know, have played. Um, but at this juncture, you know, that number hasn't changed at all. Hmm. And, of course, they've played about 500 ball over that time. So uh, maybe we're seeing some things even out. Um, you know, and in terms of expectations, I mean, uh, I, we were just talking about this. But I looked at the schedule, and they had that stretch there where they had three against the Orioles and four against the Marlins there in late June, or uh, excuse me, late July. Hmm. And I just felt like if they were going to make a push, that was a time they really needed to like, you know, master and own their schedule. Um, and that didn't really, that didn't really work out. So um, there've been some opportunities certainly left on the table. And I think that's kind of where, why they are where they are. Yeah. Those, those two series that you mentioned with Baltimore and Miami in late July, as you said, I mean, that's, that's leading right up to the trade deadline, and it was right. very, very clear to us that Mike Hazen was was kind of waiting and seeing what the Diamondbacks were going to do as the trade deadline drew closer. And I think if the Diamondbacks had rattled off, you know, maybe six out of seven 
of those games for mm-hmm. victories, I think the trade deadline could have maybe gone very, very differently for this team. Um, but I guess now that I've said trade deadline, I've got to go ahead and break out all the moves that the Diamondbacks made since technically, Jeff, we haven't actually talked about these yeah, trades, right. even though they're not they're not super recent history. So we won't we won't treat them like they're fresh news. There's been plenty of of commentary around about these deals already, but we'll give you a, at least a quick take about each of these. The Diamondbacks went ahead and acquired right-handed pitcher Zach Gallen from the Miami Marlins in exchange for shortstop prospect Jazz Chisholm who by many accounts was the Diamondbacks' number one prospect in their system at the time of the deal. Uh, In addition to that, the Diamondbacks, of course, the big trade, uh, which was basically a buzzer beater from what we've heard. Both this and the Mike Leake trade happened right literally in the seconds leading up to the trade deadline on July 31st. Uh, The Diamondbacks went ahead. They moved Zach Greinke uh, to the Houston Astros. Uh, along with $24 million that they will go ahead and retain of his contract. In return, they got uh, right-handed pitcher J.B. Bukoskis. Uh, they got right-handed pitcher Corbin Martin. They got first baseman slash eh, semi-outfielder uh, Seth Beer. And then they also got a super utility guy who has since made the major league roster in Josh Rojas. Uh, and then the last major deal, the Diamondbacks made a couple other ones. I think John Ryan Murphy was was dealt to the Braves for cash considerations. Uh, but the other significant trade uh, was Mike Leake being acquired from the Seattle Mariners in exchange for infield prospect Jose Cabarello. Uh, so, Jeff, obviously these are names that you have heard and uh, and news that you have that you have come back to. I'm curious, Jeff. I was I was beside myself trying to figure out what all of these different deals meant. Things the narrative of the day really changed dramatically because it really felt like the Diamondbacks were buyers at one point. They went out, they got Zach Allen, who is clearly uh, more a for now guy than Jazz Chisholm is. And at that point, we all thought the Diamondbacks were basically going for it. And then a couple hours later, they went ahead and traded their number one starting pitcher. And it, it just kind of resulted in this murky picture of uh, trades that each in themselves seem to be pretty fair value, but overall kind of a puzzling picture that Mike Hazen has left us with. Yeah, if there's anything, you know, that, that Mike Hazen hasn't done, it's provide us much clarity, whether that's, you know, really been the direction <laughs> of the team. Or, it doesn't really seem to be his thing. <laughs> no, and, you know, I, I can I can appreciate him not painting himself into a corner. Right. Um, I, can, I can certainly appreciate that. So um, you and I talked a number of times as, as the deadline approached that um, if there were moves to be made, they were going to be move, moves made based on value. Um, I think we could, you know, really see some see some value moves there. Um, the Zach Gallon trade for Jazz Chisholm was uh, probably, you know, pretty surprising. Uh, Gallon has had a, you know, really nice rookie season. Uh, Chisholm has some serious flaws to his game, but also has some, you know, pretty supreme and, and frankly, kind of rare talents. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, maybe a bet on, you know, uh, what you see presently, you know, versus what may transpire in the future. Uh, but, you know, finding cost controlled, uh, young, effective, you know, starting pitching is always difficult. Um, and if we really look at, at what's in the Diamondbacks system right now, outside of guys like John DePlantier, 
there's not a lot uh, there's not a lot of, of pitching depth really close to the majors that right. appears to be you know a really like obvious major league quality. Um, so that was you know that one really caught my attention. Um, but the Granky deal, you know, uh, you know, saying I was walking out of a dinner in in Rome uh, and you know checked the phone. And couldn't believe it uh, about about throughout my dinner when I saw that they had traded Zach Greinke. Um, just didn't really see it coming. Uh, but you know, I, honestly, I don't. I just don't think that was a move you were ever going to see coming. Uh, I think it was the kind of move that that was going to be a GM to GM thing, and uh, they were going to push hard for it. And I'm, I'm frankly pretty impressed that they only ate $24 million and they were able to get four guys back. Um, and I'd say, you know, if I had just looked at it on paper, I just said three of them are probably major league caliber players. Um, and the fourth one would have been Josh Rojas, who's uh, already been in the majors. So um, <laughs> they did, they, they did pretty well for themselves. And again, you know, just a credit to Mike Hazen for, you know, for, uh, for finding the value and, you know, while there's not like a, a top flight prospect there, um, there's a lot of quantity. And if they can hit on, you know, uh, like two of those four guys and, and really get something from them, you know, while also freeing up a, a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of salary that they can spend elsewhere, you know, they did pretty well for themselves. Yeah, of course, the irony with this trade is that, as I'm sure many of our, our listeners are aware I took the liberty of writing an article about why the Diamondbacks should keep Zach Greinke uh, roughly. <laughs> I think it was less. I think I wrote it the night before the trade deadline. So we're probably uh, talking about 16 hours before this deal went down. <laughs> I laid out a full-blown argument for why the Diamondbacks should go ahead and, and keep Zach Greinke on this team. And uh, I, I will say that in, in accordance with, with what you were just talking about, Zach or Mike Hazen, excuse me, did – a lot better in this trade than I think I really yeah. anticipated was possible. Absolutely. And, and so it, it wasn't, I, I'm not going to go as far to say it was a slam dunk. I would have, I would have liked to see Kyle Tucker or Forrest Whitley in this deal. They are, I think clearly the two best prospect in the, in the two best prospects, excuse me, in the Astros system. But, you know, you got four guys, and like you said, all of these guys have intrigue. I think all of them are a little bit flawed in their own ways. Seth Beer doesn't really have a position. Uh, Corbin Martin is uh, just underwent Tommy John surgery a couple of months ago. Uh, Josh Rojas is, has kind of been a non-prospect for most of his career, although he's kind of risen as of late. And then J.B. Bukaskis has, has really struggled at the double-A level this season despite flashing some some pretty good stuff. So I think all of these guys are, are flawed in their own ways. But at the same time, that assessment that I gave about why the Diamondbacks should keep Zach Greinke was based on on this not being possible, on you not being able to... Uh, you know, give away $53 million in salary and get four at least viable prospects in return. I'm, I'm still not, I'm, I'm not 100% in on this trade, but I think Mike Hazen did well for himself. This is far from an embarrassment for the Diamondbacks. Pretty much everyone supports the Diamondbacks side of this trade from what I can tell. Yeah, and, and I can see why. Um, and I'm with you. I, I didn't see this as, you know, within the realm of possibility. And let's face it, they didn't rip off. Um, they didn't rip off an organization that's behind the times. I mean, 
Uh, they made a deal with the Astros, and the Astros, you know, um, have been well advanced. Uh, you know, uh, at, at times, you know, light years ahead of where the Diamondbacks have been, you know, in, in years past. So, right. um, you know, to see that happen and, and, and just even factor in who the trade partner was um, is, is pretty interesting in itself. Uh, hmm. So I think that's just kind of an aspect of it where, you know, I, that, that I think, you know, even pushes, you know, puts another feather in the cap of Mike Hazen, you know, per se. So, um It'll be really interesting to see what they do with it. You know, you mentioned Seth Beer. Uh, you know, he's he's a first baseman. Um, he's, you know, splitting some time in double A with Paven Smith right now in left field and first base. They seem to be kind of alternating. Um, I don't know that that's really a matter of trying to groom one of them for left base so much as it is a matter of trying to get their bats in the lineup in the same game hmm. um, and make sure they're both getting, uh, you know, consistent at bats at the double A level. So, right. You know, where does that fit? Um, has Christian Walker done enough to kind of cement his spot? Uh, what comes up with Jake Lamb? Kevin Crone is there, and Paven Smith is actually playing pretty well. So uh, there's kind of a lot to settle out without a DH spot. Um, there's bound to be some movement. So hmm. I think it's kind of a value proposition where um, I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, some guys from that crop, uh, you know, move along from the organization in some capacity because they don't they don't need uh, presently uh, three first basemen and with uh, two more on the way. Yeah, I think an- another thing that was interesting about this trade, I don't know if you saw this, Jeff, this is something that came out kind of right after the deal went down. Um, but news came out from the Astros general manager about how exactly this trade happened. And he was surprisingly upfront about how the deal went down. He basically said that I believe they initiated the call to the Diamondbacks about Zach Greinke, and Mike Hazen gave a very, very firm price in return, which was the price that the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. eventually would get. And they left that out there and said, we're not budging. This is what it's going to take. And yeah. the Astros were not going to take this trade. They were they were pretty uh, adamant that they were not going to give up all of the prospects that were required to get this deal done. Because as you mentioned, this is a, a very forward-thinking, progressive organization. And we all know that forward-thinking, progressive organizations in baseball don't like to give up prospects. And that's what it took to get this deal done. And I think if nothing else, even if this trade uh, isn't, you know, a, a raving success when when all things are said and done, the fact that Mike Hazen laid out the price and made the Astros come to him, I think is really telling about Mike Hazen's skill and, and just how good he is at his job. Yeah, and let's contrast that with, uh, you know, where this organization was five or six years ago. It's a big, um, it's a big difference. <laughs> it's night and day. And, um, you know, I remember writing about this team when, when Kevin Towers was the GM and, uh, you know, uh, ownership was in a, a public dispute with, with Justin Upton. Um, you know, they weren't happy with, with then prospect Trevor Bauer. Hmm. Um, you know, we've just seen some of these things, uh, you know, Dave Stewart making public comments about his own players and, and what they're, you know, seeking. And um, I just felt like all of the public comment, uh, all of the commentary coming from the front office, uh, the bashing of, of, of current, frankly, employees um, continue to always drag down their own leverage in potential deals. 
Uh, if you talk bad about a player and uh, you, you know you kind of drag them through the mud publicly, uh, everyone knows that you want to remove that player from your roster, and therefore they're not willing to pay so much because uh, they know that you're already motivated to move them, and you know you don't need to you don't need to see the highest bid. You'll just jump at the first chance. So. Um, it's it's such a change and such a breath of fresh air, and I think that as a fan base, um, you know, Diamondback fans are going to have to get used to some of these things coming out of left field, um, rather than them being headlines for a month and then a move happening. Hmm. Um, so, uh, this is how Mike Hazen operates. This is how he's going to operate. And although it can be frustrating because, as we kind of let off the show, we we don't always know the direction of things. Um, at the end of the day, you probably get a better deal. And so uh, that ultimately is is probably where interest should lie. Unfortunately, we have found out all too clearly over the last couple of weeks, Jeff, that the difference between Zach Greinke and Mike Leake is very wide. <laughs> or at least it has been over over the small sample size. I, I, think, I think they throw equally as hard. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> It's true. That's that's a great point. Uh, but the numbers, unfortunately, for the Diamondbacks would say otherwise. And Mike Leake, over four starts since joining the team, 21 in the third innings, 37 hits allowed, 20 I, runs, 19 of them earned, three walks, all of nine strikeouts over more than 21 innings pitched. Jeff, there's clearly not a whole lot of swing and miss left in this guy's game. Not that there's really ever been a whole lot of swing and miss for Mike Leake. He's kind of always been more of a pitch-to-contact type of a guy. Uh, we love the story, the, you know, an ASU background. I think a lot of people thought that was pretty cool. But uh, on the mound, as far as that's concerned, Mike Leake has been uh, a little bit difficult to watch so far in his young Diamondbacks career. Yeah, that's um, it's a tough profile, right? I mean, in today's game where guys are launching the baseball more than ever, they're hitting the ball in the air, um, you know, they're hitting the ball harder than ever, and, and they're really coming to the plate with, with, with essentially one goal. Um, and I wrote about this last week for Baseball Prospectus, but even in like two strike counts, uh, guys are hitting more home runs, uh, a larger proportion of home runs in two strike counts now than ever before. Hmm. Um, the two strike count, now, you know, the two strike approach for a batter seems to be the same as a one and O count. Uh, I'm going to look for a ball that I can elevate and I'm going to swing hard. Um, that's going to be really tough for a guy like Mike Leake to navigate, unfortunately. So, um, you know, there's there's not a lot there, there's not a lot to say. Um, he's always going to allow a lot of balls to be put into play. Uh, you know, what happens with those baseballs is. Um, frankly, really hard to predict. There are very few pitchers that have ever been able to really, you know, especially in recent memory, um, especially in this live ball era, and now that we're sort of maybe in the juiced ball era, um, <laughs> able to really control what kind of contact comes from from batted balls. Hmm. Uh, we simply we, we simply don't know. Um, guys like Brad Ziegler were able to be, you know, sort of unicorns and are, are kind of that, that rare breed. But, but by and large, you know, um, when the ball gets hit, uh, what happens to it is is very hard to predict. So um, you're really taking your chances with a guy like Mike Leake. Hmm. On the flip side, uh, the Mariners ate a lot of his remaining contract, and he is you know not entirely free, but 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 very inexpensive for the Diamondbacks to have. And 
frankly, just kind of a, a pretty cheap insurance policy. I mean, if if you know a bunch of guys come back healthy, let's say uh, Luke Weaver who continues his rehab, um, you know, and Taiwan Walker are both healthy come next spring, and uh, John Duplantier is feeling fine, and you know Zach Galen looks looks great. Um, you know, and, and Robbie Ray still there. I mean, you, you kind of look at it as going, okay, well, you know, maybe a guy like Mike Leake gets traded or, or even frankly released at this stage in his career. Um, but he's a very inexpensive insurance policy at the very least right now. I think you make a good point about just the nature of pitching to contact and how just how little of control you have as a starting pitcher. Uh, I was at Mike Leake's most recent start uh, on Wednesday. Uh, which I guess was just yesterday. And he actually kept the ball on the ground extremely well. Uh, the the uh, Colorado Rockies, the team he was facing, they weren't necessarily you know driving the ball to the gap or anything like that. But the number of balls that just snuck their way through the infield, <laughs> uh, it was it was difficult to watch. And and I mean yeah. you know like ground balls, like we love that. You know that's something Absolutely. that you. That's something you look for, but the nature of even being a ground ball pitcher, even if you can be elite at being a ground ball pitcher, you still can't control where that ground ball goes. And Mike Leake was the victim of that yesterday. If you don't have a whole lot of swing and miss in your game, even if you can keep the ball on the ground, you're still basically guaranteed nothing. Yeah, it's... There's no justice in baseball. Um, right. <laughs> and so, like some days, you know, guys just have to wear it. And um, that's really unfortunate. I don't think Mike Leake is as bad as he has been in his uh, four starts uh, with the Diamondbacks. So, right, right. Um, you know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's a professional. He's lasted in the game for this long for a reason. So, uh, you know, cheap insurance. He's, he's filling innings. Um we had a discussion a few episodes back where we just we even frankly talked about the value of just having people around that are <laughs> that are able to take the ball every fifth day and at least like give you a five or six inning effort. So um, he's going to do that for them. And, you know, where they're at right now in their season, it looks like things have, you know, uh, unfortunately kind of slipped away. Um you know, th- this is probably fine, and it's you know we're we're very close to needing to really start shifting our eyes towards 2020. Let's go ahead and play the long game, Jeff. This was this was what I thought was most interesting after the after the trade deadline is what exactly is the Diamondbacks' long term plan for trying to get back into contention. We've heard Mike Hazen talk a lot about wanting to win a World Series and not playing for just the occasional wild card appearance he wants to build a team that can contend long term and i think this the trade with with zach Granke, the zach gallon trade they kind of push us in a couple different directions um so here I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this these are the diamondbacks starting pitchers that they will have available to them next season i know you just mentioned a few of them they've got luke weaver taiwan walker potentially coming back from injury zach gallon merrill kelly alex young Taylor Clark, Jonathan Duplantier, Robbie Ray, and Mike Leake. I believe that's pretty much everyone who I think is pretty clearly going to be in that race for the Diamondbacks next season. And obviously, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that there isn't really a true number one in that mix for the Diamondbacks without Zach Greinke. They don't really have that type of a guy. And what this points, as far as I can tell, Jeff, what this points to is a team that is kind of destined to once again not be real good but not be real bad it kind of looks like 
2020 for the Diamondbacks is going to be maybe a little bit more of the same unless you know maybe there are more trades coming maybe this winter the Diamondbacks uh, tear some things down maybe they add to the bullpen there's there's several different directions they can go but I'm still a little bit dumbfounded Jeff we've talked about how Mike Hazen is not really giving us too many answers about this this long game about what what exactly is his his idea and his plan for getting the Diamondbacks into consistent contention, as far as I can tell, this 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 change is probably not going to happen by next year. I would agree with that. Um, I would agree with that timeline. I do think the thing that Mike Hazen probably identified immediately, and this you know obviously probably stems from from his time, um, you know, really as as you know with Boston and, and examining kind of. Uh, the league as a whole is that the Diamondbacks organization was frankly just just thin on talent. Um, you know, you had kind of you know you had some guys like uh, obviously Paul Goldschmidt and and Zach Greinke maybe sort of masking that to a degree. But if you if you peeled back the layers a little bit, you you got into kind of the the fringes of the twenty five man roster, you know some of the the back part of the forty man roster, really looking at the minor league uh structure there was very very little um you know just just overall organizational talent so i think that's Mm. really been his his goal because there's two types of currency i mean there's financial currency which the diamondbacks don't seem to to really possess um you know to to really spend with some of their even frankly like division counterparts like the giants or dodgers um but organizationally uh, they they didn't have the prospect uh, the prospect equity or, or, or value really throughout the system. So I think that's been his biggest task. And if we look for things that have changed most drastically under his leadership, um, you know, the the easy thing to point to is well, you know, AJ Pollock's not here anymore. Paul Goldschmidt's not here anymore. Zach Granke's not here anymore. Uh, but if you look at the value of what the the farm system has done, um, it's really frankly ballooned. Uh, under under Mike Hazen. So, uh, you know, using kind of the framework that, that Fangraphs relies on and, and their prospect rankings, um, you know, the looks of it now is that they have, you know, basically maybe about the seventh uh, most valuable farm system. Um, that's going to be very valuable to them because they can't just throw out dollars. However, trading Zach Granke does give them some dollars to spend, and now they have more prospect currency as well. So I think he's kind of uh, creating his own path towards, um, you know, really building up the the big league roster uh, and the viability of the big league roster can, to contend. Um, we see some of those pieces there now. Can he supplement them? Can he supplement a Cattell Marte um, with other guys? So hmm. that's uh, I think that's been probably his biggest charge. Um, and while he's you know that's not necessarily you know what grabs the headlines or what gets spoken about the most, he's positioning himself uh, for um, you know uh, for that next that next run of contention, and and they're going to need that. Uh, they're going to have to rely on on that type of strategy to compete. Yeah, well, you mentioned this this farm system, which I think is may, maybe a bigger story than anything over the last couple months, even bigger than than maybe even the Zach Greinke trade, is that this farm system is, is really thriving in the minds of 
pretty much everyone, it seems like at this point. It, it's kind of a consensus that the Diamondbacks farm system ranks right around the top five, maybe top ten uh, of, of all of Major League Baseball. And we've seen, especially it seems like over the last couple months, some of their top prospects have really started to flash some big-time potential and get a lot of people pretty excited. You think about Alec Thomas, who who was recently promoted. He's been really hot as of late, yeah. uh, playing for Visalia. Um, you've got Christian Robinson, who was promoted to Kane County. I had an opportunity to interview him. He's still kind of trying to figure things out offensively in Kane County, mm-hmm. but but obviously a guy with with an extremely high ceiling. Uh, Corbin Carroll has absolutely lit things up. I've heard rumors that his season might be over at this point. Uh, but for Hillsborough, after being promoted there, he was phenomenal. Uh, Paven Smith, you mentioned earlier, he's just absolutely knocking the cover off the ball over the last month and a half. Um, you've got Dalton Varsho, who's maybe been yeah. the biggest story lately. Wow. He's hitting 442 over his last 10 games. Uh, with Double A Jackson, which is not Reno. This is not, you know, you don't take these numbers with a grain of salt because the ball's flying everywhere. Double A, uh, the league that he that he is playing for with the Diamondbacks is is not known to be particularly hitter friendly. So Varsho has has taken a big step forward as of late, and even even the some pitchers, Luis Frias has been really exciting, getting promoted to Kane County. Levi Kelly, I got to see him pitch in Kane County. He looked really impressive. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo was promoted. Mm-hmm. He's looked really good uh, with Visalia. And and the list just kind of goes on and on. The Diamondbacks don't necessarily have such a good farm system because, you know, they have, you know, one of the top five best prospects in all of baseball. They don't really have that guy, at least not yet. But the amount of depth in this system and just the number of names that we can list off that bring some excitement, it's something, Jeff, that we have not had here in a long time. No, and and that's you know that's part of it that's really encouraging. And I think we have to sort of uh, you know take a step back sometimes and look at the um, the landscape of the division. Uh, I've referenced you know just previously that Fangraphs had them ranked seventh in terms of uh, like farm system value. Hmm. Uh, you know, the two of the three teams in the top three are the Padres and the Dodgers. Mm. And the Dodgers are already winning. Uh, they look, <laughs> you know, pretty well positioned to to probably play in another World Series. Um, and yet their farm system is also uh, incredibly deep and incredibly talented and very, very good. Um, the Padres have, have, you know, progressed on the field to some degree. Uh, Fernando Tatis has obviously been shut down, but the addition of Manny Machado, um, the emergence of guys like Chris Paddock, and you know, plenty more on the way. Uh, I, I think Mike Hayson's kind of looking around at the division and understanding like um, I'm going to need to you know really develop um, my own prospects, whether that's for uh, filling holes on the major league roster when guys like Robbie Ray, David Peralta. Jake Lamb, Nick Ahmed are no longer there, um, or that's you know making moves to supplement those players. So, um, hmm. you know, I, th- I think that you know you just have to kind of take that 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 broader perspective and understand that in today's game, it, it's not just good enough to go out and you know try to sign a bunch of free agents and uh, you know we're just going to line them up and we're going to play and we're going to win. Um, it, it's a much longer game than that, and while. Uh, you could turn on ESPN or, or Fox Sports Arizona and, you know, and watch the game um, behind the scenes. There's like a game of risk, 
you know, going on in real time. Uh, that's much more nuanced, and and that's the game that's that ultimately is going to impact what you're seeing on your television. I'm glad you brought up the other teams in the division because I think that's absolutely something that we have to you know factor into the conversation. The Dodgers, the Padres, in in phenomenal positions uh, moving forward. I think one myth that I think a lot of fans can subscribe to pretty easily and and something that I think people need to kind of rethink just a little bit is mm-hmm. that people think that the Dodgers are so great because they have all this money and and yeah. albeit they do have a freaking lot of money that the Diamondbacks <laughs> simply do not have access to. But, I mean, you look up and down the Dodgers roster, and and the guys who are responsible for putting them in in World Series contention year after World Series contention year, those guys are not making any money whatsoever. Most of those guys are still on their rookie contracts or in their first couple years of arbitration. You think of Corey Seager. You think of Cody Bellinger, who's obviously a, a top MVP candidate this year. Max Muncie. Uh, Jock Peterson has been stable for them. Hyunjin Ryu is not making a whole lot of money. Uh, Will Smith, the catcher they just called up, who's absolutely been phenomenal so far. Uh, And they've got more guys waiting. As you mentioned, Gavin Lux seems to be the next big name coming out of Los Angeles. The reason the Dodgers are so good is not primarily because of the money that they have. And, and people need to start believing that the Diamondbacks, if they continue to build a premier farm system like they've started to do, you know, Dodger-level greatness is not completely out of the question. Obviously, the Dodgers will always have a leg up over the Diamondbacks in some ways. They can afford to make mistakes that the Diamondbacks can't afford yeah, to make. that's but, it. Right, but, but on the whole, it, it is absolutely feasible that the Diamondbacks could become the kind of perennial contender that the Dodgers become if they can play their cards right. Yeah, I mean, you see the model. You see the model is there. This isn't a team built on expensive free agents that are supplemented by some prospects that have graduated. Exactly. It's a team that's built on prospects that have graduated that are supplemented by some free agents. Right. There's a big, big difference between those two things. Um, all of those early 2000s years of watching the Yankees and the Red Sox and how they built some of those teams, that's long gone. Um, this is not how the game is happening now. Um, uh, I, I, 29 other teams would fall all over themselves to have Walker Bueller on their roster right now. No, I didn't even mention um, him. Another yeah, one. <laughs> I, right, and it's just – and they just keep coming. Right. Um, you know, Dustin May is up now. So, I mean, it's just – uh, it, it's just going to keep churning. Um, there, there's no real end in sight for that. So the only thing you can do, um, you know, what's what's the saying? If you can't beat them, join them. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have to uh, adopt, you know, some of that. Um, and frankly, right, like, I mean, we can look at that and we could say, well, you know, Corey Seager was a top flight prospect. Uh, Walker Bueller was a top flight prospect. Um, Max Muncy was not. Uh, he's a guy that is an organizational win in terms of development, uh, strategies, um, you know, the organization looking at, at players differently, trying things. Um, you know, one of the guys that I think, you know, uh, would have been an organizational win in some degree was a guy that they actually traded, uh, Mitch Hanniger, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't, know, don't think anyone's complaining because in, in some way he turned into Cattell Marte. Uh, <laughs> but you look at that and it's like, well, we're going to have, you know, they're going to have to, uh, you know, continue to look for some of these guys that they can, you know, repackage, reshape, remold um, and help, frankly, just kind of, you know, refine their game uh, to continue to contribute. But that's a they're at they, they, they came at it from such a deficit as compared to some of their even divisional counterparts, that's going to take a lot of time. And that that's why there was so much pressure on this 2019 draft. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, by all accounts, they did very well for themselves. Um, but, you know, those rewards won't be reaped on the major league field for quite some time. Uh, so I, I really do think there's brighter days ahead. I do think Mike Hazen clearly sees the bigger picture. Um, I can't, say that for the people that preceded him um, and put him in that position. Um, but there's going to be have to be some staying of the course uh, in order to get there. And, you know, sometimes there's really good intentions and things that just don't work out. I mean, um, I was looking today at the injury history of the Pirates as Jamison Tyon and, and just what a miserable, um, you know, last, I think, four years that poor kid yeah. has had after he was the good top when he first came up game. he was good i mean he's a guy that you're like this guy's gonna anchor a rotation for like 10 years i mean he's awesome yeah um and he's just lost so much so there's going to be things like that but i think the the by and large um if they stay the course you know mike hazen has them heading in the right direction before we jump into our uh, couple of questions that we got from listeners here on this episode 11 of the Rattle Podcast, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the breakout that Nick Ahmed, the Diamondback shortstop, has been on as of late. He was just named the National League Player of the Week last week. Uh, he hit several home runs. It seems like he has really started to be a consistent force in the Diamondbacks lineup. Obviously, the defense, Jeff, is is well documented. We all know what he offers defensively. He's continued that this season. But you combine that with what has become an average, potentially even above average bat, and and things start to get pretty exciting. And Jeff, before I, I pitch it over to you on this, I don't know if you saw my tweet, uh, which I can't remember if I tweeted this out yesterday or today. But entering today, Nick Ahmed had an OPS of 798, and Paul Goldschmidt also had an OPS of 798. I mean, he's the new Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, what is there to say? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I will say this. Um, you know, even if OPS isn't your stat and you want to go deeper, uh, Nick Ahmed has a, a weighted runs created plus that's that's at least one point over league average. Uh, it's so much better than he's ever been in his career. Um and I just like, I love the stats. I love scouting. I, I love all the, I'm so happy for Nick Ahmed as a person. Yeah. Um, mm. Nick Ahmed works his tail off. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> gives you everything every night out. Um, and I think there are guys out there um, that are very naturally gifted. There are guys out there that can do things on a baseball field that, that few other human beings can do. And we could maybe make that case about him defensively, but as a hitter, we've never really said that about Nick Ahmed. Um, but my goodness, I mean, I, I just, I really think it's a credit to like uh, just hard work, perseverance, 
um, and a guy that just has refused to quit. And I, I'm really, really pumped for him. Um, I don't know how long he stays with the organization. I, I know he has another year of, of team control left, and I'm sure he'll be back next year. Beyond that, I don't know. Um, but I, I really hope, you know, in, in whatever fashion, I hope it pays off for Nick Ahmed because I really think he deserves it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned his his future with the team. We've we've received the question, I think, several times on the show, you know, who is the Diamondbacks' next big extension candidate? And we've never really had a good answer to that question because the Diamondbacks don't really have any slam dunk candidates for an extension uh, for guys who haven't already been extended. People will instantly say Cattell Marte. The Diamondbacks have team control of Cattell Marte through his age 31 season. You know, you're not exactly in a rush to, to you know, secure Cattell Marte until he's 45 years old. I think they're covered there. Um, and, and beyond that, Eduardo Escobar has a couple years after this one. There just aren't really any guys who, who are super clear extension candidates. But I think Nick Ahmed, with, with what he's done over the last month or so, and, and kind of taking that next step forward offensively, if you have a, a guy who plays defense as well as he does, and if he can be near average offensively, you're talking about easily, you know, a top 10, maybe even better shortstop in, in all of baseball. And the Diamondbacks don't really have any clear options at shortstop that are just right around the corner. They've got some in, in, intriguing guys uh, with Perdomo, like we mentioned before. Paguero is another guy who's really come on lately in the farm system. Uh, but both of those guys are probably a few years away, and, and maybe the Diamondbacks look into bringing Nick Ahmed back on some sort of extension uh, and, and, you know, maybe bridge the gap to those guys for at least a couple more seasons. Yeah, and to call Nick Ahmed like a top 10 shortstop is like, you know, in some ways you think of that as like, well, there's 30 teams, so he's like in the top third, and, you know, like, eh, you know, is that really like that good? Right. But, like, look at the shortstops in baseball now. I mean – Alex Bregman, Trevor Story, Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, um, you know, Corey Seager, Trey Turner. Uh, you know, it's just like the list is so deep, right. uh, so deep and so good. Xander Boger. I mean, it's just like you, you go through this and like, well, being top 10 in that company is is pretty darn good. Um, and, you know, with his age, I mean, he's not um, – you know, it's not like he's hitting free agency, you know, at the age of, of 26 or something. Um, it, he'd be pretty affordable if they wanted to go that route. Um, right. So so I do think there there might be something to that. Um, I think the, the, the good thing for the Diamondbacks is that they're in the position where they can play it out another year. Um, it's some, you know, it's, it's not something they have to address immediately. They have that extra year of team control. I would fully expect them to use that before they really go down the, the kind of the, the extension talk. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure they'll engage, uh, but I doubt they'd really do anything, you know, in advance. And, you know, it's not like you're going to have to sign them to, to a Bryce Harper, you know, three year, you know, $330 million deal or something. So, hmm. um, you know, should they decide to extend them for two or three years and give themselves, you know, that cushion? Sure. Um, that gives them another, you know, couple of year or another year to evaluate a guy like, um, you know, Perdomo or, you know, kind of address their organizational depth. So, um, but I do think he's a candidate and, you know, he's going to have a really, a really nice long career, I think, when it's all said and done. Let's go ahead and jump into our questions from our listeners, which, of course, we always appreciate here 
on the Rattle podcast from Mike Cleary. He says, which potential September 1st call-ups are you most intrigued about seeing in the big leagues? Uh, Jeff, uh, there, there's a, maybe a few people that, that come to mind for me. I'll go ahead and pitch it to you first, though. Who, who comes to mind for you? You know, I look at it, and I, you know, I look at the forty-man roster, and I look at kind of who's there um, that's not up currently. You know, and that that makes it a little tough. Um, so, I mean, you know, there's always the the option to to sort of punt someone from the from the forty-man roster, and you know, DFA someone or, or whatnot. Right. Um, but if I limit myself to kind of what's already there. Um, a guy I'd kind of like to see get another shot. I do think he's he's kind of a limited player, but I would like to see Domingo Leva, um, you know, get a little more major league time. Uh, I don't know that he's ever going to necessarily really blossom into like a, a full on, you know, kind of you know big league regular. Um, you know, and he he's best suited for second base, and uh, Wilmer Flores has very quietly been very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, he's a guy that I, I wouldn't mind seeing some more of and just kind of, you know, trying to decide, I guess, of, you know, for even my own personal evaluation, if if he's really a piece that the, the organization should be looking at for for anything long term or, or, or whether, um, you know, even frankly, I mean, for his sake, that he's he's worth that 40 man roster spot. Yeah, I think for me, I think of Bo Takahashi, who is an interesting case because mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was called up several days ago, but wasn't actually yeah. given the opportunity to pitch. He never pitched, yeah. It was a, you know, poor guy, 22 years old, finally gets the call up, and then you know he made his way back to Double A Jackson before he actually got in the game. Uh, but I think he's pretty much a, a shoe in. I think he's he's definitely going to be back. We should see him this season, which is exciting. Like I mentioned, only 22 years old. Uh, so I think I think that's definitely something to look forward to. Um, other than that, the the intriguing guys are, uh, as you alluded to, there's some interesting guys who are not on the 40 man roster, which of course is quite an obstacle. So I, I wouldn't necessarily put any level of expectation on these names whatsoever. But uh, we would love to see Dalton Varsho at the major league level sometime soon, and and Paven Smith has also really come on strong at double a like we talked about before i think 2020 is probably when we'll see these guys i don't necessarily think that's a horrible decision either uh with these guys finishing long seasons uh with double a but nonetheless jeff i I think especially when it comes to dalton varsho there's certainly some anticipation to seeing these guys on a major league roster Absolutely. I mean, if I'm given my 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 wishes, uh, Varsho is certainly the guy that I'd like to see. Um, Start him in center field, right? Yeah, right. I mean, let's let, why waste time? Uh, <laughs> let's just let's just do it. Um, no, I mean, I yeah, I, it would be be very exciting to see him up. I mean, we 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 don't see a lot of you know, uh, you know, sort of hitting for average and hitting for power left-handed catchers in the game. Um, it's just. It's and a unique steel bases, nonetheless. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a very unique skill set for him, and and kind of seeing how it fits would be very intriguing. I'm sure the club would probably rather uh, run those experiments and see that next spring uh, in the friendly confines of Salt River Fields, but um, I sure wouldn't mind seeing it this September. Um, the other guy I'll throw out there is uh, is Jimmy Sherfy, and just seeing you know, mm. there's, there's been so much talk about. Uh, why haven't the Diamondbacks called him up? Why hasn't he been part of the team? Uh, the bullpen has struggled, at, you know, uh, uh, frankly, you know, pretty mightily at times. Uh, and so, you know, 
can he get a shot? Um, how fresh is he? You know, how's his workload going? And so I, I'd be very interested to see what he can contribute. Um, you know, we're really getting down the road with him in terms of his age and, and whatnot. So, um, for some of these guys, you know, it's it's about cementing whether or not the organization even really wants to hang on to them long term. Hmm. And uh, he sort of seems to fit that bill. Go ahead and move on to our final question here in this episode from Greg Littleton. He says, with Zach Granke gone, Robbie Ray approaching free agency and Taiwan Walker, a question mark after Tommy John surgery. Do you think any of the young pitchers, he mentions Zach Allen, Alex Young, Taylor Clark and John Duplantier. Could any of those pitchers actually become the next Diamondbacks ace? I'll go ahead and give my answer and then and then pitch it over to you, Jeff. Uh, from my standpoint, I do think it is possible that the Diamondbacks' next true ace is within the organization already, but it's probably not one of those four guys uh, from my standpoint. Zach Gallen is putting up some really good numbers here in his rookie year, still sporting the sub-3 ERA and all that. I think his stuff probably more profiles as a mid-rotation starter, maybe a number two uh, at his ceiling. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure you're looking at an ace in, in Gallon. I think Alex Young and Taylor Clark, both of those guys, uh, honestly, if, if they stayed in, in a major league rotation uh, for an extended period of time, I think you'd consider that a, a big win uh, right there. And then John Duplantier, uh, there's definitely been talk about him becoming an ace at some point, uh, he's really struggled with, with injuries, though, unfortunately. I think the potential for that is still there, but there's some pretty real durability concerns there with Duplantier that, that could potentially deter him on that path. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily see it, um, you know, in, in the uh, sort of a traditional framework and, and, and thought around what is an ace. Um you know, by ace, do we mean the best pitcher on the staff or by ace, do we mean uh, like a top five pitcher in the game? Right. I don't I don't think they have uh, the latter of those things. So I don't see that among this group. That said, I don't think they necessarily have to have that in in the group uh, to be competitive. Um, you look at a team, you know, even like the Cubs right now, uh, they're leading the NL Central um, and they have, you know, they have a rotation built on. Um, you know, a different kind of pitcher, more veteran pitchers. None of them are really, you know, probably true aces in the game. I mean, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, uh, Jose Quintana, um, you know, they have guys of, of kind of that, that age and that, that established quality, but they have five of them. Right. And, and so, you know, at the end of the day, the, the cumulative effort is pretty strong. So um, I do think this rotation even, you know, in the near future is just, uh, you know, built more to uh, have a bit more uh, qual uh, quantity than quality um, in terms of, you know, finding a, a legitimate major league ace. Ladies and gentlemen, that is all that we have for this episode 11 of the Rattle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We know it's been a, a little bit of a while since both me and Jeff uh, have been here and we've had the whole crew. It's certainly good to be back with you. Uh, absolutely. Be absolutely. Uh, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at, at the Rattle AZ if you have not done so already. And be sure to check out our website as well at www.therattle.net where you can find um, new and interesting uh, Diamondbacks commentary. We've got some, some good interviews and, and some good content coming up uh, as well. So be looking out for that. 
Uh, thank you once again so much for listening and not forgetting about us. Uh, for Jeff Weiser, my name is Jesse Friedman, and we will see you once again next week to talk more about the Arizona Diamondbacks.